Welcome to the Shambhala Sunday Gatherings podcast. Each week, we invite a guest presenter from the Shambhala community to talk about what is meaningful to them or to share a brief Dharma talk. These explorations range from the reality of impermanence, death, and the unknown to how we express and work with joy, contentment, and fearlessness in our daily lives. Presenters offer a guided meditation or contemplation practice and invite reflections, comments, and questions from participants about the poignancy and complexity of our shared journey on planet Earth. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shambhala Sunday Gathering podcast. Welcome everyone to this week's Shambhala Sunday Gathering with Daniel Neistat. My name is Faraday Rudy and I'm really happy that I can be here with you all today and host this Sunday Gathering. Each week, uh, Shambhala hosts these Sunday gatherings for the global community, and we invite a presenter to share either a brief uh, Dharma teaching or something about a new initiative or project they're working on, and to share that with the community. Uh, We also have some community practice and some time for uh, discussion and sharing. So thank you all for being here for this week's Sunday gathering. At this time, it's my great pleasure to introduce this week's Sunday Gathering presenter, Daniel Neistat. Daniel Neistat has been a senior Shambhala teacher for nearly 40 years. He began his study of Buddhism and Far Eastern religion as an undergraduate at Columbia College and later as a graduate fellow at Columbia University. During his time in New York City, he met two of the most important people in his life. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche and his future wife, Agnes Au, with whom he has raised two sons. Daniel has had a lifelong interest in the Drala principle and has received personal instructions and guidance on these teachings from Trungpa Rinpoche and Dilgo Kense Rinpoche. In New York, Daniel served on the board of the New York Shambhala Center and in 2001 co-founded Sky Lake Lodge in Rosendale, New York. After a long career as owner and CEO of several apparel and dietary supplement companies, Daniel has recently retired from full-time work. He continues to serve as a senior Shambhala teacher and avid explorer of the natural world. Daniel presently lives in Boulder, where he serves as the chair of the board of directors for the Boulder Shambhala Center. In October of 2023, Daniel will be co-directing along with Agnes, the Warrior Assembly at Karma Choling. Daniel will be speaking today about the power of Hla, rediscovering our innate jewel of empowerment and accomplishment. Daniel, thank you so much for being here with us today and please lead us in some community practice and um, please do share your wisdom with us. Yes, okay, great. Well, cheerful Sunday, everyone. Really lovely to see some old and new faces and um, maybe some shy faces, whatever, but um, very, very lovely to see you all. Um, 
So today's topic is uh, a very common word in Tibet and a word that is quite central to a lot of Tibetan culture, as well as a word that is so common in our Shambhala vernacular that we often uh, maybe overlook its significance and uh, impact and uh, particularly the principles associated with it. And that word is uh, just a simple um, as one can get, um, a consonant with a short ah uh, vowel sound, la. Um, sometimes the simplest sounds are the most fundamental, just as we have ma and pa when we first begin to speak, and we have ma, pa, and la as a kind of uh, uh, pathway to um, discovering our higher self, you might say. So um, let me just begin quickly by um, talking a little bit about the term itself, law. Um, we're spelling it here L-H-A, and it can be spelled also just more simply L-A. But the L-H-A um, is a Tibetan word. It's a equivalent in Sanskrit. The word would be deva, and the literal meaning for that would be God, the divine, divine principle, deity. Um, it has lots of meanings and subtleties and contextual applications. Um, we see it um, in our Shambhala vernacular, um, in the word drala. Uh, now we spell that typically in the more simple way, la, which is usually translated that law is simply to mean above. And so when Rinpoche talks about the drala principle, the draw is about aggression. And so the definition is to uh, understand law as above aggression, non-aggressive presence. And in the law spelling, which is more traditional in Tibet, draw law, it's um, more simply um, translated as a war god. Um, and there it has a sense of protection principle. And um, we see the word law in uh, the ceremony we often do, offering a, a cleansing smoke offering called law song. And that literally means smoke offering to the law. And in this case, law is actually kind of short for drala because that is a, a drala ritual where we invoke and asked for the blessings of the law to descend. Um, often in that ceremony and many other times, we raise our wind horse, our lungta, with the warrior's cry. Kiki, so-so, ashe, la, gyalo. There's la again. Uh, la, gyalo means victory to the gods. So, um, it moves in and out. Um, the word lama is the same law. So this is one who we hold above ourselves. Um, we're referring now really to the whole principle of all that we hold above us, our, our vision, the heaven principle, to the purpose in life, the purposes in life that we find that inspire us and ultimately bring us the sort of deepest, most a uh, rich sense of fulfillment. Um, the inspiration that we get 
and that we find is a law, you could say, um, in the teachings that we've received on Shambhala from the Dorje Dradal, Trungpa Rinpoche, um, the law is referred to um, as the highest point on earth, the top of the mountain, that which will receive the first light of the morning sun. Um, but it's also um, that which reflects that great eastern sun within ourselves. And further, uh, it's a principle that is a beacon. It uh, shines outwards. So um, it's associated with, the, with our head in terms of our body. So again, the highest part of ourselves uh, has this element of um, bright, shining kind of North Star. Um, it guides us. It uh, helps us find our way uh, and really represents uh, the highest aspect of ourselves. And briefly, we've also uh, probably learned of law in the context of at least some of us may have understood these principles of natural order and natural hierarchy of law, nian, and lu. Uh, the nian and lu are also Tibetan words where nian refers to, uh, if we're thinking of a mountain, it would be the shoulders of the mountain, the bulk of the mountain. If we're thinking of ourselves, it would be our torso. And in terms of our relationships, nian refers to friends, to humanity, to the human element. Um, versus the heaven element of law. And then Lu is um, literally translated as um, water beings. It's uh, equivalent in Sanskrit is Naga uh, or water serpents or dragon uh, of the water elements. And here we're referring to, if you can imagine the top of the mountain is covered in snow and ice. And as we move down the mountain, that water um, melts and flows into high mountain lakes and creeks and rivers. And then at the, in the valleys, we have um, many flows of energy and water and uh, both on the surface and beneath the surface. And that would be referring to the Lu element. So the enriching element and so forth. And rather than get into um, a long or even a short conversation about these three principles, I introduce them more um, as a whole and the sense that uh, law represents the um, highest point, nian the middle point, and lu the lower point, but not in a sense that one is more important than the other. All three are essential. They're all three parts of one whole. And the idea of understanding principles of natural order is um, to see them in relationship, to see them in balance, and understanding how if one is missing or underemphasized or out of place, uh, then the natural order is disturbed and balance is disrupted, harmony is disrupted. And so, um, in many ways, law is really the foundational. Um, of what we do and, and um, you know, heaven inspires us and helps us uh, know what to do. And, and so uh, having our law 
uh, understood and in focus and um, in the right relationship and order, you could say is is the ground. That's the essential um, kind of starting point for us uh, in anything we do. So um, in our little discussion today, what I thought we would do is explore this law principle as it applies to us personally, um, as warriors on the path, and also um, try and look at it as a um, collective principle, a shared, when, well, we all have shared vision, um, shared law, and how does that work? And um, how does our personal law and shared laws uh, come together, um, interact and, and support one another? So, um, so we'll begin with the personal and move on to the collective or shared. Um, so law makes our way into everyday life all the time. Um, if we're planning a project or an initiative or pretty much anything, um, if we begin with law, what we're essentially beginning with would be the um, inspiration, the vision, the, um, the why you want to do it, one might say. And if we answer the why really well, and if it's uh, strongly held, then often the other pieces of the puzzle will fall into place. Uh, if we haven't done all that good a job in making the law, the inspiration, the vision clear, then it's difficult to um, make it all work together. And just practically speaking, if you have a project and, and um, the presentation is all about, um, oh, all the different people that are going to need in their roles and um, the computer servers and the pitchforks or whatever it is needed to, you know, make the project happen. Uh, often we get stuck in those details. We get stuck in the weeds. Um, and arguments break out and there's a lack of clarity about what to do first and when. And um, as a system, um, things aren't working well. And in society, we have the same problem. Um, when our law is not clearly understood and uh, shared and appreciated in particular, uh, boy, we get lost very easily, whether it's a small societal gathering or um, the global conditions that we're facing these days. So um, the interesting thing is I, I think we intuitively understand these principles and follow them. Um, if you open your closet, it's unlikely that hat, which is associated with law, will be in a big pile on the floor of the closet. Uh, it's more likely the hats will end up at the shelf at the higher spot in relationship to your head and shoes with their kind of dusty muddiness of will be down on the floor or lower shelves. And it just sort of intuitively makes sense. Um, but when we look at the law that guides ourselves, it may be less clear if you ask yourself the question, 
what's my law? Yeah, well, okay, we, we, we're all here together. So I'm going to assume we're sharing a kind of common set of inspirations and aspirations, um, good values in terms of healthy values of uh, caring and kindness and honesty. Um, and further than that, um, it may be a little bit fuzzy, just, you know, maybe a little bit out of focus. What, yeah, what is my law? Um, what has been my law? What will be my law? Um, if it has such an important role in guiding me, do I really have a kind of uh, handle on uh, just what that is these days? And so I thought we'd begin, um, rather than do say a meditation uh, exercise together, um, a contemplation exercise. Uh, maybe we'll call it uh, just discovering our personal law, um, but we'll do it in relationship to the three times. Uh, because my sense of our law is that it's um, fluid, it's evolving along with our lives. Um, and if we look into our past, um, there's the law that guided us. If we look to our present moment, there's a law that is um, our inspiration, our, our North Star. Um, and if we look to the future, um, there's law there as well. So uh, let's take a few minutes just kind of exploring the law of our personal three times. Um, this is kind of like asking ourselves, you know, when we, there's a sort of cultural norm when we see the little kids and we're trying to make conversation with them and we say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, well, this is more like, why do you want to be, right? What's our why? So, um, okay, so let's take a breath out. And um, contemplation is really about mixing our mind with space. So um, no right or wrong, just relaxation is good. Um, looking back at your life, um, anywhere in the, either recent or distant past, um, let arise a, a decision or choice that you made that was consequential. Maybe it had to do with education or spiritual path or family decision or uh, what instrument to play. Uh, just let your mind wander into your past and think of a consequential decision that you made that wasn't something that just sort of happened to you. So holding that lightly, try and recall what was the why of that decision? What was the impetus, the inspiration, or even the feeling 
that guided that inspiration. Your body may have a felt sense of that. Chances are it may be hidden, but there's a why underneath every decision. And um, sort of just let that percolate for a few moments. So now um, let's kind of do this similar exercise, but rather than a decision, let's look at our present moment, our present lives. And you might think of just one aspect of your life where you find yourself deeply engaged, something that's really um, a vital part of your days these days. And again, it could be any aspect. It might be um, work that you're doing in social activism. It, it might be um, having to do with friends or your vocation or um, an adventure that you want to take or have are taking now. Can you feel the law of that? deep engagement, the, the power and inspiration that led you to that commitment. Does that law still feel as vibrant as when you first began the engagement? And again, it may be more of a felt sense, a feeling of uh, higher self and higher purpose. Or it might be uh, just a lot of vision and space associated with it. And so now let's change our gaze a little bit and um, look to the future. And I think to do this, um, I'll share what I do. Um, I like to just gaze at the sky. And if you have a window nearby um, or you'd like to get up to a window or door, um, Literally gaze at the sky and open to the just sense of space of possibility. Law helps us see the possibilities in the future that ordinarily there attention on our phones and other devices and 
keeping our feet in front of us, we often forget to explore the space of possibility. And so this law principle has to do with feeling the presence of possibility as if in the sky itself, waiting to meet you are these vibrational energetic threads of possibility waiting for you to meet in the future. Okay, well, you can come, come back down to earth, um, back from your windows or opens, open window, open doors. Um, we'll have a little time for a discussion, but hopefully um, this little contemplation, rather than just talking about the principle, maybe got us a little bit more attuned to something that is with us all the time, this sense of awe. And I really like to think of it as innate, that um, a growing, continually evolving and fluid um, developmental guiding force within us that um, if we can freshen that contact and tighten the focus, it will um, enable us to be uh, likewise more directed, um, more empowered in whatever it is that we want to do. So if you feel a little more familiar with law, having done that, just shake your head for now and not, I'll try another exercise next time. Okay, we have a few up and downs. That's good. Thumbs up. Great. Okay, we're, we're on the right track. Um, so um, my sense is that La does not like to live alone um, and does not exist in a vacuum, but rather... Um, our law and others' law are actively in a state of exchange and interaction. And I've been contemplating this um, and thinking about um, law in relationship to particularly our Shambhala community these days, at this present moment. I think all of us are kind of asking this hot potato question, what is our law? Where is our law? What is our why? And lacking that, what is the way? And I don't have an answer but I have some ideas that might help us. So if we think about our Shambhala community as a mandala, um, particularly a mandala 
awake activity and sharing development. When we enter the gate of that mandala, does our law stay outside the gate or does it come in? My sense is um, when we bow before we enter, we kind of try and leave our personas behind. And if anything, let our law lead the way into the mandala. And in that mandala, um, I think the point of these principles and these teachings is that um, the structure and the forms and the rituals and the relationships are all there to help our law awaken more fully to its true rich sense. And we enter the law and the law, the law space and we encounter this rich stream of wisdom, the law of our teachers, teachers of past and present and future. Many streams of wisdom flow down through this mandala. Within the mandala itself is an incredible diversity of not only people, but different positions. We have teachers and students and administrators, kasang, doctors, artists, poets, archers, each holding very special law. And so I think the other thing that happens is Maybe we are a little socially shy, but I think our laws like to get together. And so enlightened society encourages um, gatherings in person, online. You might find yourself in an arts presentation, Bala arts or a confusing arts, but someone's sharing their law with your law. You might find yourself at a banquet or a lawsuit or a teaching. And interestingly enough, you might find yourself as the teacher one day and the student the next. And I think one of the geniuses of the Dorje Drabal of Tungpa Rinpoche when he designed this mandala was understanding the power of developing our law throughout adopting all of these roles. And it, in the 1970s, it was rather unusual to say the least for a Tibetan teacher holding the penultimate teachings to empower students to be teachers. I recall many Tibetan teachers barely teaching the Four Noble Truths, let alone letting us teach the Four Noble Truths. And I think what Rinpoche saw there was the power of exchange. Because whether we're the teacher or the student, 
there's a law interchange of teaching and learning. And when the law of a student and the law of a teacher are in interaction, it's like a virtuous cycle that strengthens and develops this faculty of vision and inspiration. So part of the problem is we get caught up in our roles. <clears throat> we get caught up in our personal laws rather than our collective law. And well, we get all kinds of things happening. And I, maybe just one other thing I wanted to share is that um, it struck me as I was working on this particular presentation, looking at the um, other presentations on Shambhala online, all these really interesting presentations that each student was taking on the role of teacher and presenting something that they had worked with for probably quite a long period of time and developed and wanted to share that this sharing of a law is such a natural thing that we want to do. And wonderful thing that the mandala encourages and brings about. So why in this ideal world of communal law do we have blah instead of law? Sometimes even conflicting laws get into it, as you, everyone knows. And um, part of the reason is central to what it is that it's just natural for us to um, take that which is highest and most, you could say, um, central to us and develop attachment to that. Because it's, we're talking about our, the best of us, our best self. And who doesn't want their best self to be the best in relationship to other bests? So attachment, territorialness around even the law that's kind of fuzzy um, and it gets in the way. Um, and I guess the suggestion here is that if in fact the mandala was created for um, you could say housing wisdom, the law, and having that wisdom flow and work in an interconnected, interdynamic way amongst ourselves. Um, and if our law is something that is innate and easily shared, why do we have so much trouble structuring our relationships. And what I'm feeling is that the um, difficulty is in actually, first of all, just understanding this principle more richly, more fully. And secondly, um, 
do we really understand how to create the structures, the um, not just the forms, but you could say the physical and um, the tangible and the intangible structures in which law, my law and your law can essentially um, become a communally held law that is just like ourselves personally, uh, developing fluid and um, co-creating this actuality of a more awake society rather than uh, territorializing a segment. You could say that mm, I'm okay with this part, but not that part. And I don't know um, an easy answer to that, but I, I do feel the um, need right now. And I encourage discussion amongst all of us leaders and whatever role you hold to not let this hot potato just sort of be the last thing that we do. Because as I explained at the beginning, if our law is last, all the other pieces are, are gonna like jangle and you know not fit well together. That if we think about this magical principle of direction and purpose and fulfillment, um, sharing law rather than having single streams of law, having banquets of law, which is, I think, what was intended, um, we can find a way. Um, and experientially here um, in Boulder, I've been having a I could say challenging couple of weeks as I um, try and work with other um, really dedicated and um, hardworking members of our community to forge a path forward. Um, we had a difficult week as we tried to introduce some um, new transitions in, in terms of uh, moving forward. And um, at one point things seemed just like hair-raisingly impossible and about to blow up. Um, but what I found was in the midst of that, we embraced our heartache, our brokenheartedness, along with our resol resolute nature to not give up. And yet in the midst of many conversations, some all difficult, but all really, you could say, um, important in which so many voices were heard. What I felt was the overarching law guiding us towards resolution. And um, when things felt really stuck, I'd open the door and we live here in Boulder, right beneath the Flatirons and take some walks to the open space and sky gaze and try and feel those threads of possibility that I wasn't seeing, that we weren't seeing and invite them. And 
I guess what I'm suggesting is that overall, if we can um, put our laws together, um, we can get someplace. Um, not in a sort of uh, thinking our way through it, but more really feeling our way through it. And, and lastly, I think just another demonstration of this principle I wanted to share was um, um, I've been a part along with Agnes of a uh, wonderful sprawling um, program this fall and into the winter on the Kalapa teachings of the Dorje Dradal, from which this law principle um, was first taught. And these are the Kalapa assemblies that uh, occurred from roughly 1978 through the mid 80s. Um, and what happened there was um, the approach to rediscovering and working with it was led um, in such a way that um, a faculty came together of a number of teachers and we explored how to do this, when to do it, and gave each other a lot of freedom about how we might present our particular section. And as the program has been progressing and is still happening, what's emerging more than anything is the expansive and ever enlarging, not just the faculty seems to be getting larger, but we've included more and more in terms of structured discussion groups and learning sessions. So there's discussion group leaders and what's emerging is the power of the group law, mutually held law to rediscover wisdom that was just under the surface. Um, so um, let's join law, that's my message. Um, it's intangible. You can't put your finger on it, um, but I think we can feel it. And I think it's felt, particularly when our law uh, become plural. So um, that's why I said there's power to law. And in the title, I'm trying to do a fruition here, bring it together, give us some time to chat. Um, it's like an innate jewel, um, the jewel that we can polish and refine and sharpen. And that particular jewel is, it's both a power that gives us strength, strengthens our purpose, gives us energy, but it's also empowering. And many of us feel unempowered. And I think the more we can connect with law, the more we can really have this sense of um, what we've lost, this sense of mutually held law with many streams of wisdom, many expressions, and um, so much respect um, for one another's law. So um, I think I'm on time, or, and I certainly hope that um, 
you'll have something to share. Share your law in some discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daniel. And um, yes, at this point, please, um, any uh, questions you might have for Daniel, any comments, um, any insights, um, whatever you'd like to bring up, share, discuss, ask, um, or you can also type something in the chat. And I see something in the chat from... Um, <laughs> Irene, do you want to unmute and um, just share? I'll just say it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I see Catherine has her hand raised. So uh, just one moment. And Catherine, do you want to go ahead? and? Yes, thank you very you... much. Hello. Uh, are you... Hi, Catherine. Yeah, please go ahead. Yes, Daniel, thank you. It was a wonderful presentation. I am curious, and again, it may just be a somatic question. Does law and the collaboration of law always lead to resolution? And is that the goal? Well, I think um, society tells us we're far from resolved. Um, so uh, generally, we we aren't seeing the results just yet. Um, but I think the um, I think one thing as I contemplated this was um, the idea that um, when we more fully appreciate and connect with our own law and others, it, it opens up possibilities that we're not seeing. And I think, um, gosh, we face such an incredible array of what seem to be impenetrably impossible uh, predicaments, whether it's climate issues or um, the disparities in terms of our society and so on. But the... Um, gathering of law is and why I wanted the future law to be associated with just space is um, I think it brings possibilities. Um, it reveals possibilities that lead to um, solutions. And, and, and I would say I, I use it myself in terms of um, trying to find solutions is just not thinking them through, but, opening to possibility. Um, and if we can open to possibility, because that's, that's where the solution lies, then maybe we can, we can inch our way forward. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel, very much. Um, uh, well, two things. One is that we're certainly living in an age of like corruption of law in all kinds of areas. I mean, where for, I'm, I'm talking for myself and I internalize that corruption, I think. Uh, you know, one of the laws is materialism that we live in. There's all kinds of um, uh, misdirections and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to be optimistic in, those, in that 
situation in a sense for me. And I, and I think there's this danger of internalizing it. And you, you brought up this, the, whatever you want to call it, the diamond quality of law. And I think that's correct. I, that's encouraging. Um, but um, so the, the skillful means of how to deal with this corruption, I'm not talking about in our sangha particularly. I'm talking about culture, mainstream culturally. Um, it's really intense in that way. And um, uh, I don't know how we ever address it. It is societal. And um, um, I'm just bringing it up as something that I think about. And uh, also, um, uh, I, I find hard to, to get around as a, as a major obstacle and feel optimistic about or, or, or get any gain any ground on it. And maybe Erica will talk about we went to a huge law event in Boulder last night, which we didn't know anything about. And we ended up in a house with probably 200, 500 people uh, culturally celebrating um, amazing thing, amazing positive in this crazy place of Boulder, Colorado, which is maybe one of the most corrupted places in terms of materialism <laughs> at the same time. Anyway, I, maybe you'd like to talk about that. Well, it just, we went on a whim in a way, and it was called Café de la Culture, and uh, people were invited to just eat together and the topic was how do you measure happiness and there was a panel and there was poetry and there was flamenco dancing and there was it was like a complete display of what we might as Shambhalians think of as a festival and a uplifted event and everyone was talking and sharing and meeting and it just had a really inspiring influence on, on me in the sense of this law and when I looked up at the sky I felt like that's what I want. <laughs> I want that kind of communal sharing. And I guess the only other thought I had was remembering back to the delegs where we would get together and we would have like a sense of like consensus or sharing the communal law. And that was a very potent time I mean, many, many years ago, but uh, that's what I, that was my law. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I think you, you both raised, you got a, a positive example and a negative example here in the yin yang of your your couple. And just to begin with the more negative, I, I think actually maybe what you're referring to, Wendell, is not so much the corruption of law, but the situation where the natural order is is broken. And so the Lu principle, which is often associated with um, materialism. Uh, riches becomes people's law and so the natural order is reversed um, people thinking that materialism is the higher purpose so to speak and i'm simplifying obviously but the um, um i'd still like to have a sense that no matter how from whatever perspective we feel people are on the wrong track that they still retain this innate crystal dot of law that guides them, um, can be repolished and put in the right order, you could say, rather than it's um, something that is, and certainly it can be corrupted. I not want to be overly naive, but I think if the natural order is right, the law will find it's, it's, it's in the, it's set in the right um, sort of place to help us. And when the natural order is, is off, um, 
then uh, it's not going to function at all. Yeah. And, um, and then to the happy side of your couple, <laughs> I'm joking. You're both very happy. <laughs> your joy only too well. The, uh, yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. I'm sorry that I missed it, but I, I think you're pointing to, um, and I didn't want us to think that it takes a banquet or it takes, you know, a magnificent gathering of 500 people sharing artist law, a simple family meal can um, invoke the law of the family. Um, and um, it's, it's if we're looking for it, if we're looking to bring our laws together, uh, I, my sense is that that's, there's a magnetic attraction of law to law. And um, it takes simple things to um, reinvigorate it. And uh, yeah, thanks. I think that uh, might be all we have time for for now, although again, we do still have an additional 30 minutes um, sort of after we close our our hour-long sort of official part of the Sunday gathering so people can stay on for more discussion. But at this time, I would just uh, like to express my thanks to you, Daniel, for presenting um, on these wonderful principles of La Nian and Lu, and particularly La, and to thank you so much for being here today. And um, if you would be so kind to share maybe a thought of the week that we could um, take with us into our week, either as a contemplation, or maybe it will just pop into our mind at some point. Um, that would be wonderful. Whatever's coming to mind for you that we can take with us. Um, crystal dot. Uh, that's my suggested contemplation. Um, it's kind of... Um, could be just a dot, but it's uncorruptible. It's pure and most of all clear. And you have it. Thank you so much. It's really lovely. So uh, before we close, um, and we <laughs> say this every week, um, I believe uh, most of you know that Sunday gatherings are offered uh, free of charge. We want to make them as accessible as possible. And if you do feel inspired to make a donation to support these. So thanks for that. And a big thanks to all of you just for being here today and, and sharing this, this moment, um, this law of community gathering. And next week's Sunday gathering will feature guest presenter Irene Woodard, who is here with us today. And she is going to be both presenting on and leading discussion on, on the topic of reduce, reuse, recycle, re-dharma. 
So hopefully many of you can also be here for that next Sunday. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Hope to see you um, at another Sunday gathering soon. And uh, goodbye for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe to the podcast. We hope you can join us again soon. You can find out more about upcoming live Shambhala Sunday gatherings and our podcast at shambhalaonline.org forward slash Sunday dash gatherings forward slash.